0: What's going on? This is Matt Verlack and Jake Johnson in the Founder Fight Club podcast episode, episode three. three. That's right. What's up w- dude? Love it.
1: We are having an amazing time hanging out in my basement shooting a uh, quick podcast. Excited to bring you guys some knowledge from LTV Conf uh, up in New York City where Matt and I got to go a couple weeks ago. I want to drop this because I'm going to Be like the Martian or spaceman here, the only person that's never done this. I rode a train to New York City for the first time ever. How old old are you? I am 36. First time on a train. And if you have never traveled by train, it is amazing.
0: Yeah, it's all right. Uh, I don't know. My mind's blown. (laughs) This guy can run a tech startup and he's never been on a train before. But, you know. What all, you I, do? all yeah. I know is
1: there was zero security it took seven seconds to print our tickets we walked onto a train got to go right into a cafe car get a beer uh sit at a table and work and talk business and talk shop we should have reported recorded a podcast
0: on the train although the audio would have been horrible horrible yeah no <laughs> doubt that no, was super cool it was, an, it was an amazing trip honestly um you know, I've been to my fair share of conferences and LTV Conf was one of the best. I think the speaker lineup was really, really dialed in. Um, some of those people just came in and they were just spitting fire, man. It was just awesome, um, awesome presentations,
1: super valuable. I know we talked about it so much and I I was trying to find or think of a conference that we've been to that was better than that yeah. in such a consolidated period of time, like literally really quick two-day conference, nothing... Um, Crazy! They did some amazing things for anyone out there that's, um, you know, producing events and how they kept everyone together. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner catered at the conference. Snacks in between. Everything. So there was really this social dynamic that kind of picked up as the conference went on because you're seeing the same faces. Super intimate too. What do yeah. we think like 300, 300, people, 300 people? Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there, like 300 people. So super intimate. You're seeing these people. Um, makes it really easy to start conversations with them, and then you're eating lunch together. You're breaking bread together, which is something near and dear to our hearts. So no doubt.
0: So so look, there are a lot of talks that um that we could have honed in on for this episode, and it's funny because. We selected the subject matter for this episode before we went to the conference and then saw one of the talks at the conference that really just hammered down on it. And uh, yeah, it was super cool. And it was interesting because a couple of the talks that I sat through, you know, I was sitting there in the room and I'm just getting like, just eyes wide open, like, this is amazing. And then it's this one, it was a great talk. But like it, it took a little bit of reflection for it to really hit me yeah, about like absolutely. the pertinence to our own organization um, to the point where that's the one that that we both wanted to talk about uh, today. So before I forget and I'm going to try my hardest to say this name properly. But uh, Natalia, if you listen to this and I mispronounce your last name, I'm terribly sorry. Um, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Natalia Sverjenski. Um So she runs a company called Noble Collective. It's basically a consultancy that focuses on building healthy cultures uh, within startups. And uh, the name of her talk was called Managing Social Complexity as You Scale. And it was a really interesting topic, especially for us, because we've gone from six to 12 uh, team members in three months. And so there has been some social complexity as we've scaled, and I know there will continue to be. And a lot of the stuff that uh, she said was just really, really accurate based on what we've been seeing in our own organization and really actionable in the sense that she provided things that we can quickly implement to try to get a handle on some of that complexity. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is really just how to be a healthy team and pass along some of the great advice that she gave us in her talk and talk about some of the things that we've implemented already in the week and a half since that conference, uh, inside of UpLaunch.
1: Yeah, I love it. And so one of the things, and it, just to reflect back on what you just said, Matt, really there was, she dropped so many knowledge bombs that it took a while to digest and really go back over your notes and stuff. I think the, the thing that really set the tone for, I think, being able to digest the information was the visual that she showed. And obviously, you can't see a visual on a podcast. I'm going to do my best to explain it to you. Um, and it basically came down to like what happens every time you introduce someone new to your organization and the multiplying effect that has on the number of relationships right. within your organization. And ultimately, as leaders in your organization it is your responsibility to to manage and facilitate and ensure that those relationships are are successful and set up for long-term. Um, and so I, I think the best way, like a knitting analogy would probably be pretty good or a web, like a spider web. Like a web. Yeah. Yeah. Like a spider web. And so really, um, if you can just imagine um, a spider, you know what, what do they sew a web? How do they? What is that even called? I don't know. It's, I'm your, not sure. it's your story, but oh I'm just yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, say that it's sewing a web. I'm not really sure. Uh, someone that has um, ample knowledge of spiders can uh, drop that on us on <laughs> what it's called. When a spider this makes a web. Three of the Spider
0: Podcast. <laughs>
1: um, but basically, when you go from one point to another, there's just one point, and as soon as you add. Another dynamic to that, that point has to connect to every other point of the web in some way. And so it really, if you look at a finished spider web, that is 100% what an organization looks like. And you have all of these points and each one of those little micro points has to connect to every single other point in addition to the center of the web. And if you just think about that in the context of managing relationships and complexities, it is insane. And I think She got up to, and Matt's going to give you guys some smaller stats now, but the big stat that she got up to is that if you have 75 people in your company, you're managing 3,000 relationships, and that was makes perfect sense to me, but mind blowing. Yeah. I was just like, I, I never thought of that in the context of that. And so I think there's smaller numbers, right? Yeah,
0: there? they are. So, and these numbers really pertain to us, you know, when we're a team size of five, there's 10 relationships to manage and there are two more people and it becomes 21 relationships. So the, the number of combinations double, um, when you get up to a team size of nine, it's 36 different relationships. And it's, it's interesting because it's more than just social dynamics that really affects the decision-making process. And that's one of the things I we'll talk about at the end, um, one of the things that we've implemented or that really that we're in the process of implementing. but But making sure that all of the people who are involved in a particular decision can still have a seat at the table in a way that's time sensitive, especially as a remote first team. Um, becomes more and more challenging. The more like stakeholders you have, or participants you have, the number of people who need to be involved in a decision and approve a decision. It gets messy quick, especially when you start getting into individual feedback loops and then things that affect other people, and you go know, back and forth. It's uh,
1: yeah, and it well, leads leads right into the productivity tools and what we we use religiously is Slack. And now that you introduce that second, third, fourth, eighth, tenth, twelfth position for us is a matter of there's twelve people in Slack now and. Um, there are so many notifications happening in real time that you know one of the main things that she was talking about um how did she refer to it i can 't remember um basically social debt that 's how she referred to it is social debt um that you don 't realize you 're accumulating with the technology tools that you 're using and you know just like Facebook, just like Instagram, just like anything, when you see that there's 30 Slack notifications and you're supposed to be doing something with your family or your friends, or you're supposed to be decompressing, like you have that fear of missing out or that fear of a decision taking place that you feel like you have influence on or you want to have influence, you have input for, um, and so it really creates you know information silos and potentially bottlenecks. But also the the hardest part of that is the burnout that you're constantly engaged in that. Um,
0: in that in that world. Yeah, for sure. And it's something that has to be actively managed because it's it's really it's it's easy for people to I think that fear of missing out it will drive them to feel obligated to always be connected and always be on and always make sure that their little slack light is green and hate those lights. I know. Um, right? <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, we try to take a very deliberate approach in our company at managing that. Expectation, letting people know that it's not an expectation that it's okay to have a hobby or have lunch with your kid or what have you. Um, But it's something that needs to be managed because left to its own devices, everyone will default to always being plugged in because no one wants to feel like they're underperforming against anyone else or no one wants to look bad. I think the ultimate thing with that is,
1: right, like everyone says, like, it doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do and what you can back up. And like one of the things that we realized um, and we'll get into what we're doing towards the end of the podcast um, to kind of manage that. But I think the thing that really jumped out to us is we say those things, but then we um, necessarily we didn't necessarily have the appropriate guidelines to make people feel comfortable with the disconnecting. Um, And so like, how should we be using Slack? How should we be using um, DMs? How should we, um, you know, be using all of these tools that we have in the most effective ways so that we are still a part of the company and um, we don't have that fear. Uh, I love this analogy and this is straight from her talk that um, techs, tech scales, um, technology scales, and people don't. And that is is real. And so we have a capacity, a brain, you know, uh, a bandwidth that's inside our brain and emotional bandwidth and all of those things. Um, And people don't, my uncle builds data centers for those of you that are out there that want to learn about data centers. He's a genius. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they have so much redundancy in the systems they have and never, ever would they build a data center that was going to run at 100% capacity sure um and that is technology that is scaling and and we expect ourselves to run at that 100% which ultimately is going to um, have a negative impact on our life and productivity within our company
0: yeah i always say there's there's really three currencies right that affect human yeah. beings it's uh you know money is one time is the second one and energy is the third one and I think like i've heard this before yeah right <laughs> only all the time <laughs> and uh especially time and energy I, they when you run out of them, you run out of them and people will try to be superhuman. But at the end of the day, you are not operating at your best. And especially when you're doing high level work, that's thought work. You're not, you know, stamping widgets in the widget factory. You're doing real work that requires critical thinking and analysis and creativity. Um, if you're out of any of those three really, uh, but especially time and energy, it's, yeah. uh,
1: and if you stuff. hyper-focus on one area, which is something that we see a lot, right, where people hyper-focus on business, they hi- hyper-focus on their company, they hyper-focus on their kids, they hyperfocus on their marriage. If you hyper-focus on one of those things and you put that at 100% capacity, that means that all of those other things are suffering and there is a negative implication on your other things in your life, whether it be, you know, hobbies and, you know, peace of mind, marriages, I mean, that's the most horrible thing to talk about now. Um, this is the divorce rate in our country because people are not able to work through those things, and you know a lot of it probably relates back to a work-life balance and the things that they're not doing or doing
0: or want to be doing, um, you know. And so, yeah, it's funny because I think in, and not to not to divert from what we're talking about as far as ways to minimize this social debt and be a healthy team, but people really pick this stuff apart at work. They figure out the best way to do your work as a team, the best way to have work-life balance. And it's just as important to, to really, I think, take that deliberate approach in a marriage or with your kids or with your hobbies or whatever it is. Or with We're, your co-founders or with your co- something. Yeah, we, our, our own relationships, nowadays, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's more than just work. I just think that work tends to, because of the culture, at least in our country for sure, like, ends up being the number one priority. And so people put the most critical thought into it, or really the lessons you learn in the workplace can apply to every other element of your life
1: too. I think, I I think you nailed it too. Like in our environment, it's a lot, like I think there's other countries that do, I've never lived in another country where I've been able to experience it firsthand, but reading about them and, you know, kind of seeing some of those things where there is more of a a cultural aspect around that family and that enjoyment, and then doing your life's work and being amazing at it and really, um, you know, enjoying it and not um, carrying it
0: over in all aspects of your life. Sure, and so real talk—we're not going to change a country, but we can change our little corner yeah, of the right? world, yeah, and, no uh, doubt, and uh, <laughs> live the way we want to live. So let's get into the meat and potatoes. Here, here's what I think I'd love to do for the back half of this: is talk about this is straight from um, from the, the talk at LTV Conf. The three ways to stay out of social debt yeah. with your own team. Um, and again, this is not our information. We just want to pass it along because it really made an impact on us. And then Jake and I'll talk about some of the stuff that we've implemented in literally under two weeks since we came home from that conference, things that have already had a tangible effect inside of our yeah, Absolutely. Right. So, uh, top three ways to, to stay out of social debt. Number one, team size. And that doesn't mean headcount in your company. What that means is the number of people who are working on a specific project or initiative at one time we're still really full, like full transparency. We don't have this dialed in yet. We're still trying to figure out, uh, the optimal workflows around decision-making and project ownership and who needs to be informed, but not necessarily take day-to-day participation and who needs to be a participant, but might not be the full decision-maker. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of nuance here depending on how you work. But one of the things, um, that Jake and I are acutely aware of based on our previous, uh, careers in the fire department is, uh, small teams and small unit leadership. leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, small teams can do amazing things when they're unified behind a mission and you, you know, who a decision maker is and what the plan is. It's, you know, I mean, you've got it from the military. We've both got it from the fire department. It's, uh,
1: our, we joked about this a little bit before the podcast, just talking related to the fire department experience. And we, said hundreds of times, I'm sure, Oh my God, we'll never talk about this ever again. But, um, (laughs) ICS is the incident command structure, which is, um, an amazing structure and framework for managing large scale incidents. It was born out of managing wildfires out West where there's, you know, um, an organization, a massive amount of people covering thousands of acres, all with different roles and responsibilities, but all working towards the same objective. Um, how do you effectively manage those teams? And what they identified as one of the core principles is span and control. And so small unit leadership, uh, operating in groups of four typically is like that initial really small team. Um, but it leads us right into, um, something else was that cross functionality, which was another one of the areas that we talked about, or uh, Natalia talked about, was making sure that there's cross functional work. So even though you're in a team of four, and there's another group of, of four, maybe um, one group of four is working on X project, and the other group of four is working on Y project. There's a huge opportunity for each of those teams to interact with each other and have cross functional success to keep everybody in the loop, but also the end result
0: is is 10x more effective. Sure. And I think you see this a lot in some of the more traditionally structured software companies where even just within the the subset of work that could be categorized as shipping your product, people tend to break things down into small functions where you have product and their job is to write the spec and you have design and design's job is to literally make the design um, in sketch and make what the components are supposed to look like. And they pass it to engineering, which is further subdivided into front end and back end. And then... Like, all of that's great, and those are legitimate functional responsibilities when you talk about taking a a product or a feature from concept to reality. However, really having this uh, multiple handoff paradigm results in doing the same thing when you have problems or the same thing when you have to make decisions is, oh, there was a bug. Oh, that's not me. That's – it's not a back-end problem. That's a front end problem, and the front end says, "Oh, well, actually, it's a bad design." The design says, "Well, I was just building the spec that product." Yeah, it, it leads to a lack of ownership. Yeah, <laughs> sure, it's right, and so so it's a mess. And so, like one thing we've done at UpLaunch to try to minimize that. And granted, we're a small team, so it's not like we have you know fifteen different designers coming out of the woodwork. But but we make a, a concerted effort to ensure that it's a platform team, right? It's a team that is in charge of our software, and that is. Uh, encompasses, excuse me, encompasses all of those functions from product to design, to engineering, to QA, to the whole nine yards and making sure that people who are doing sales and people who are doing customer success and support are able to inform the roadmap and, you know, sign off on what's being built. So they know it's, it's really a cross-functional endeavor. Um, And, you know, I learned that initially um, from Basecamp, and I hope I don't don't butcher this. I know that they generally work in a team size of three, where I think it's a designer and two developers, I'm pretty sure, is the breakdown. But the point is that there's no handoff from product to front-end to back-end to QA and then this whole, like, really rigid process. It's a collaborative, creative environment that we're trying to replicate within our own organization. And I think
1: all of those – and so just to recap, like, the first – The first big takeaway there is to keep teams small and then the cross-functional work uh, throughout those teams. Um, Everything that Matt just described is really what the third point is, which is optimizing the dynamics of how people are working together and what they're doing and how they can interact and um, how you can adjust things on the fly to continuously maintain that. You know, small unit leadership and you can have that cross functionality like I love in our company specifically, um, you know, and Matt will say this is a hill that he'll go and die on, which is part of the reason our customer success is so great or our customer support is so great. Is that um, you know, that cross functionality like we have guys that write code that are amazing at writing code we'll get in intercom and answer a support ticket because sure. it relates to them and so the the broken system is that someone that doesn't write code that doesn't know the answer has to then go to the person that writes code and say hey what's wrong with this i don't know what's going on and it creates an hour of work which could have taken 5 minutes
0: right you and, know and an hour of work for two people yeah and i think there's a balance there because that still happens too and i don't think you'll ever get away from that but i think the point is i actually view it more important in the other direction where you can't expect a non-technical person working in support to have all the technical answers, but but on the flip side, making sure that the people who are writing the code and building the product, at least for a small portion of their work in a given month, are actually speaking with real users of the product and seeing what the pain is. And I remember there's, there's a particular, um, epiphany that we had We started using a software called full story. Um, (laughs) which is amazing because it basically records um, the user sessions and lets you see how people are using your software. Like if you don't, if you've never watched someone use your software uh, and looking over their shoulder doesn't count because they're going to do things differently when you're watching them. But <laughs> if you've ever gone back, it's an incredibly eye opening experience. And um, you know, we built a particular feature The specifics don't matter, but we built a particular feature in a way that made sense to us. And somebody wrote in an intercom and said they couldn't figure it out. And we like rolled our eyes and we we're like, Oh, why can't this person figure this out? And went into full story and spent five seconds, and it was crystal clear. Wow, that makes no sense. I understand exactly why this person is confused, because (laughs) they just didn't have the context we have. And it's tough to to look through the other person's lens, or in this case, the lens of the user. And so getting people who don't normally interface with customers to be able to interface with customers, it makes them better at whatever they're doing, whether it's engineering or sales or anything else, which I think is a huge part. That was a part of our culture
1: that was already in place. Um, I just think it's a good example to use because we do have small teams working on very specific product projects and we have a scope for each one of those teams, but the cross-functional work is there and we're constantly working to optimize the dynamics. And that's one of the things that I think jumps out the most is that like, that is something that like, I don't know that it's necessarily typical in a lot of other companies. I think it's amazing for our company. Um, so
0: yeah, it started off as a necessity. And yeah, then of course, I right. really, I listened to uh, Wade from Zapier do a talk at a conference a couple of years back. And that was where I, mm-hmm. it just kind of linked up with me. I'm like, Oh, I love this all hand support. That's, that's a win. Let's, let's just make this part of our, yeah. part of our, culture. Yeah. our culture. So the third thing, right. Optimizing dynamics, there's a little bit more to it than that. And, um, you know, to to the credit of our um, our head of product, Ryan, he, he is one of the first things he said when he joined our team is we have to treat our team and really our whole company like it's a product. You have iterations and you have releases yeah. and you add new features and you turn <laughs> features off and you change how it works. Your, your team is no different. And Natalia said the same thing in her talk, um, that not only do you have to treat it like it's a product, meaning that you iterate on how it works and deliberately make changes based on what's working and what's not, but also you have to build in a little bit of space to have these discussions because if you're not proactively talking to the people on your team and finding out how the dynamics are when they go off of Slack, or maybe if you're co-located in an office and they walk down the street to the bar and go to happy hour, guess what? They're talking about it with or without you. Um, So if you make space to talk about it in a proactive, constructive, safe way, you can learn the things you need to learn to iterate on your product. That is your team. And
1: let's dive into the happy hour. I remember her referencing specifically, um you know happier and you know we always say that like you know if you don't help navigate and create the culture, then the culture will create itself. And like the bar example gravitated that to me because what do people do? Like there's, you know, a group in your company that's going to be like, Hey, we're going to go to happy hour or Hey, as a company, we're all going to get together and we're going to go to happy hour. There's going to be people that miss out on that opportunity to socialize. And there's going to be people that um, go to that. And, you know, whoever controls those conversations are going to be the ones optimizing the dynamic that might not be what you want to happen.
0: Sure. And And, And in that example, which is a very good one, uh, the example that she illustrated was that's not an intentionally ex- thing. Yes. It's not an intentional yeah. thing that you mean to exclude someone, but anyone that has to go pick their kids up from school after work isn't coming to happy hour. Yeah, absolutely. So, just <laughs> by nature of what stage of life you're in, you may or may not be excluding people without even realizing it. And so, it's important to craft those within the scope of an actual workday to put some time into this stuff. Yeah, it warrants, um, you know, whether
1: we ultimately end up doing it monthly or quarterly or annually. I think we talk about it pretty frequently. All, I mean, all the time. It's a part of our you know, daily life talking about those things. But, you know, if you don't have a place to talk about, you know, what is happening with each individual person on a team and what their role is. And, um, you know, you see it all the time in sports teams, like that dynamic, it's way messed up. There are a lot of (laughs) egos fighting over that stuff, but, you know, we generally don't make, you know, I I'm kind of, we do actually. I, I think we actually do a very good job at this. But I think if you're not out there, like talking to your people about where they fit into the team, how they can be better, what positive and negative feedback they have to make the environment better, then I think you're missing a huge, huge opportunity. So
0: totally. All right. So let's close this out. I think we can review three things that we've implemented since we came back from LTV. Conf, what did two weeks ago? Two roughly. weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so the first one is an attempt to give. A little bit of space for asynchronous, thoughtful communication outside of the hype and noise and notifications <laughs> and red light, green light life that, that is Slack. So we implemented um, a solution called Notion, which is pretty well known in the startup space. We're doing really, really cool stuff. You know, we um, have made attempts at crafting what we call our uplaunch playbook, which is essentially documenting our processes. It's not a it's not a unique problem to us. Yeah. It's something that everybody looks at and we had them on Google Drive, but it was just kind of scattered, and messy, and wasn't really organized. And so the first crack at this was to take um our playbook and migrate it over to Notion, which I did in a caffeine-fueled frenzy <laughs> one night. So that was fun. Um, and but really where, where it came from is then I decided to figure out how to leverage that tool to provide for or to provide space for asynchronous communication. And we did it very, very simply. This may change, but Basically, there's one section on there called Active Discussions. That's all it is, where someone who's initiating the discussion will go in there. They will select from a little drop-down which teams it affects, and they give a write-up on what it is they want to discuss. And I've set the expectation with the people at Uplaunch that this doesn't need to be a fully baked idea. This is not a presentation. This is a solicitation for feedback. And they will put a, a date on the little page in Notion that says, please respond by X date. And it's just like, lets you take a minute, you know, where if you're going back and forth and it's turning into this long discussion on Slack about a particular thing, or it's affecting people that might not be part of that discussion, then it deserves to be broken out, placed in notion and given a a little bit of time. Cause very rarely, you know, there's a difference between important things and urgent things, you know? Um, and I think we haven't quite implemented that section
1: yet about taking things out of Slack. I think Nathan Berry from ConvertKit was who talked about taking things like as conversations built up in Slack, um, they use Basecamp to yeah, get their yeah. discussions. But as things came up in Slack that warranted further discussion, they'd break them out. They would break them out yeah. and they would put them into a platform where you can have a more structured
0: communication where that, that thought is not lost because it gets lost in Slack. Totally. Yeah. The, the, the point is that we want to make sure that we're fought, like we're giving people space to think things through and not have to be part of the, the, live chat hamster wheel, you know, yeah. where we can take a little bit more of a deliberate approach, especially on things that are actually important, because yep. generally it, there's an inverse relationship to importance and urgency where <laughs> a lot of the, the urgent stuff are simple decisions and a lot of the important stuff sometimes you just really got to get it right. Yeah. Um, so that's number one, and that's still a work in progress, but it's something that I think has already had a really good impact on just accessibility to information, which is half the battle. Absolutely. Number two, which is a direct recommendation um, from Natalia's talk is something that she calls the captain's log. And really what it is, it's an email from the CEO at the end of the week that covers four points every week. And here are the four points. And I use these straight from her talk and it's been really cool so far. Uh, Number one is what's on my mind just to give people visibility into what I'm thinking about regarding work, Uh, what I'm working on for the week. So they know kind of what I'm up to. Um, What do I need help with? If there's a particular ask or something that we're trying to look at at a company level and one mistake that I made during the week, which is my favorite part, because I love to beat the crap out of myself. Well, hey, tell them what the mistake was last week. Right, <laughs> <laughs> this, this stupid podcast was my mistake last week. I was on travel, and we were going to shoot a um, record an episode. And I didn't bring a compatible microphone somehow or other with Zencaster. I don't know. We just wrote this whole blog post, how easy it is. And somehow I still managed to screw it up. (laughs) But a long story short is we're behind a week because I failed to prepare properly to do my work while I was on travel, even though that was what I committed to. Um, And that was a cool place to own it. And to just, you know, maybe that, kick something off in someone's head about taking a more deliberate approach to planning their week or planning their day and thinking through the tools that they'll need to to achieve their work and so leadership comes from the uh just to reinforce it leadership comes from the top down and little things like that have a direct impact on everybody yeah if you lead people in any capacity and you think they're not watching you (laughs) let me be the first to tell you how wrong you are yeah Uh, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect but it means that you need to be human and you need to admit it when you're not perfect. You can't expect <laughs> ownership from people if you're not willing to admit right. yourself. Exactly. Right? Like, a- exactly. That's what I love about Jake. He fights for ownership for me. I try to own everything <laughs> and say everything's my uh, fault. And it's like ah, actually this one's not. <laughs> um, so anyway, that that's super cool. I, I love that it's just kind of a neat way to get some of my thoughts out of my head and give people a a way to kind of plug into that and see what's going on. I can tell you, I mean Matt and I talk every
1: day multiple times a day and even getting that, it's cool I think to get an opportunity to digest your thoughts and get them out to the team. And then honestly, after the, I got the second one, I was like, Hey man, can we put these in notion? Cause like, I want them as a record forever. Yeah. Like I want them to be, um, and we actually, I love the you challenge the team to kind of interact and say like, Hey, think about these four questions too. You know, like yeah. kind of as a, it, it's a really cool, I think it's a piece of closure to the week, you right. know, to say like, all right, like, I feel like we had a good week. You, yeah. know? you, like, you like having that closure and definitely something that, um, directly relates to, you know, the lights aren't going off at our place. You know, we're, we're all across the country. So like it gives people that opportunity to say, all right, cool. I feel like we're shutting down for the week. Like yep.
0: this is a little bit of a disconnect here. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think about it from that standpoint. That's yeah. cool. Um, and so the number three is we audited, <laughs> this was really interesting. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we audited the ratio of channel messages in Slack to direct messages in Slack and granted it's a small sample size. I didn't really go crazy trying to analyze this over the life of our company or really, but I just picked the first week after we came back from the conference. And it was eighty-nine percent DMs and eleven percent channel messages. And for those of you that don't use Slack, like a DM is a direct, direct message, message. Yeah. Direct, yeah. Right. direct message. message to one other
1: person, or potentially I guess it could be to two or Whoever you decide who's going to be a part of that, basically, it's an information silo. You're asking one person or two people a question. It's not open, transparent communication.
0: Yeah, and this one was uh, this one was from Nathan, also from yeah. ConvertKit. Um, the his what he posited is that the proportion of direct message to public messages is an indicator of the health of your company culture, yeah. and. I don't think that I'm willing so far to say that our company culture is 89% bad 11% good. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but I think that it is interesting um, it's a great metric to look at and one that I hadn't really considered especially with the growth that we've had, you know, using public messages number one it, it it encourages people to work in public and to think things through and think through what they're saying a little bit and put some thought behind it because it's something that will be searchable and retained and yeah, the searchable aspect is huge. Yeah. Because that
1: that becomes a process where, like, hey, if you have a question about something, if you're thinking about something, yeah. like your first go to would be to search for it. Yeah. I've done that countless times in Slack. And now um, that we open up more of that communication, we put it in more public channels, and we're going to get that's going to have a compounding effect. And eventually the
0: percentage is going to go down. But totally. I mean, we spent the first 18, almost 18 months of Uplaunch's history, just me and our CTO building <laughs> the software. And so there's a ton of domain knowledge and decision making that's in. that that 18 month long instant message between the two of us. And I can search it and he can search it, but guess who can't search it. Anyone else that comes (laughs) in to do an engineering and up launch needs any context about why things are the way they are. So I thought that was a really good one. And we're going so far, just like any of the other metrics we care about to make that metric public and talk about it weekly on our weekly sync. This one upcoming Monday will be the first one that we, uh, that we look at that ratio and we're going to track it like anything else because if you want to track it, you have to measure it and make it public and make it known and put yeah, it on people's I think, radars. I think there's
1: been like I created a business development channel. I created or I think Mike created a customer success channel. So mm-hmm. we've actually created some channels that are kind of relating to the big buckets in our company so that you know we can have more open communication in there. Um, even though there might be only one or two people on your team, it's really important to have that communication out and open so that everybody is knowledgeable about what's happening and what's going on. Um, it will lead to less questions and less confusion and less information
0: silos and less fear of missing out. No doubt. So that's the deal. Um, that was one of the best talks that we've heard. That was one of our favorites from LTV Conf. So yep. Natalia. Thank you. Uh, it's definitely super pertinent to what we've been going through at up growing our team and growing our company. And, uh, you know i think the one of the cool things that we were able to do is not just listen to it and say okay i'm now you know 1% smarter because i listened to this talk but go through and say all right here are some immediate free easy to implement actions that we can do tomorrow that will make our company better, make our culture better, make the, the health of our team and the health of those team relationships better and reduce that social debt. And so it's three of a, a thousand ideas, but there's a couple of the things that we considered low-hanging fruit, no cost, very little effort. We just go do and make things better. Yeah, I think you go into those conferences with an open mind and you
1: go in there like throwing all things that you know out the window and going in there and just being like, I want to be a sponge and absorb as much as I can and um take action on those things in the first episode right we talked about taking action like that's literally uh the mo if you can do one thing every day
0: to get better at the end of the year you are a lot better no doubt. Um, i wish i could see who will raise their hands when i ask the following question if you've ever gone to a conference and come back with 10 pages of notes and never <laughs> looked at them again <laughs> you know <laughs> metaphorically raise hands, your hand because yeah, yeah, i not done it, it. Yeah. so uh so it's cool you know i just as i'm taking notes at these things i i try to highlight in green I don't know why, but in green, um, the things that I think would be incredibly easy and impactful to to take action on. And if it's it's easy, but not impactful, I don't really care about it. If it's impactful, but not easy, it's probably still worth doing, but might take some more time. It's more of a long-term play, but the things that are both easy and impactful, highlight them in your notes, make a plan, sit down the next day and just go do them real quick and try it out. And there's no pressure because if you try to make your team a little bit better and you try something and it doesn't stick or you don't like it, great iterate yeah. again because your team's a product who cares low-hanging low fruit pick it keep making it better
1: keep making it mm-hmm. better keep making it better we have been talking for 34 minutes i'm out i'm done we're done we're yeah. done hey uh we love you guys and you're gonna hear from us again on episode four
0: yep and i'll try to remember to uh be able to access a microphone so i don't jack everything up uh, again we'll be just fine <laughs> thanks for listening guys have a good one